and then you see this juxtaposition where people are having a hard time seeing the forest through the trees, so to speak. When I'm very bullish on the next, pretty was rough, you know, the last, especially being on the capital market side of the business, last two or three years was really more so for the operators. You know, for financiers, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a very challenging capital markets environment. Welcome to season six of Bridge the Gap, a podcast dedicated to informing, educating, and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by sponsors AccuShield, Inquire, Connected Living, Hamilton Captel, Refera, Service Master, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity. The contributors are brought to you by Peak Senior Living and produced by Salinity Marketing. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the Senior Living Podcast with Josh and Lucas. We are in beautiful, well, kind of gray San Diego today at the Knit Conference, Spring Knit Conference. We've got a great guest on today. We want to welcome Aaron Will, Vice Chairman and Co-Head National Senior Housing at CBRE Capital Markets. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you all. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, thank you. Well, you've been out here a couple of days. You've, you've been doing some whining and some dining and some golfing, and you've avoided some of this rain, yep. right? Pretty good start so far. Pretty good start to the conference. Yeah. Right, right. Not your Easing first thing. Not my first <laughs> I think it's my 16th or 17th, Nick. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You've probably been like when you were one years old, did you come to Nick? I feel like, you know. I, I soaked a little bit up through <laughs> osmosis in the business. I have a family in the business. But yeah, coming on my own account for about 16, 17 years. I did attend even prior to being in the industry, though. Yeah. So it's a very different conference so far as attendance and so forth. A lot of maturation in the industry since then. Well, you know what? The industry in 2023, I think that there's still remains, you know, it's a lot of questions. What is this year going to look like? Um, we know what happened in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and the effects on the interest rate, the economy, a lot of things that are in the works right now. What are you seeing on day to day? What's the biggest challenge facing the industry right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge, I mean, if, if you think about it, we're at a fascinating time in the industry right now. I, I would characterize the market as a juxtaposition vis-a-vis operations relative to capital markets. On the one hand, I mean, very few real estate asset classes were more dramatically impacted than senior housing. I mean, arguably convention hotels, class A lead certified office space and, and Manhattan and you know the Bay Area and certain asset classes were affected operationally worse, but not many, right? And so it's not been a linear path, but you know, operationally, a lot of people see a light at the end of the tunnel, not just on the, the census side, which is now back to 83.5%. And I think in nine to 12 months will be more or less where we were pre-COVID. My projection is that- and where was that pre-COVID? 86.5, 87 okay, across yeah. the acuity types. More importantly on the labor side, I think people were paid to sit on their tush for 18 months, right? Came back into the workforce with this euphoric, I can do no wrong mentality and would jump ship for 25 cents on the dollar. People think about it in the context of competing senior housing communities. In actuality, from a labor perspective, we've been competing with Amazon and Chick-fil-A and man on the moon employer, right, that have raised wages considerably and made it a really challenging labor environment. And so when people are willing to jump ship for 25 cents on the dollar and, and not even bothering to tell the employers, that's a really significant in senior housing, right, where you're taking care of the most basic level of frail elderly seniors. And so it necessitated a tremendous amount of temp labor, right? And that's really the single issue that has been, you know, the focal point, I think, in the industry in the last year, year and a half is temp labor. It's 
crush the P&Ls of our, our space. And what we're seeing there as we head deeper into this recession that some people have been in a denial about and say, we're soon to be in a recession. I mean, that's uh, people are dreaming. We've been in a recession. I think we'll continue to be in one for at least 12 to 18 months. I think that's a net positive, though, for the senior housing sector. And quite frankly, hospitality, retail, bars, any heavily staffed real estate asset class because people will have trepidation about jumping ship. People will have allegiance to their employer for the first time in a long time. And we're already starting to see that in job applications in our space that are at record levels. And those with robust internal recruiting functions and operators that don't have a cookie cutter approach with respect to their recruiting efforts and do it more bespoke fashion, market by market, and really are an employer of choice, if you will. If they had, for illustrative purposes, temp labor, let's say a portfolio of 30 assets, and they had temp labor a year ago in 12 of the buildings, they may be two or three now, right? And certain labor markets are, are challenged to begin with. Uh, and also the proximity that people at the community can live relative to where the community is also in commute times also affects the, the labor environment. So what we're seeing there, and we try not to be so myopic. I mean, we've got roughly $4 billion of transactions across our debt business, sales business, and an equity capital markets business now that, that I oversee. And if we look at that and then stare at the data, we do a lot of the valuations and NAV work for the REITs and so forth on the valuation advisory side, different side of the house, but have access to a lot of data in our industry. And what I would tell you is that, you know, there are winners and losers in your words, but it's largely very, very positive operationally. The pendulum is really swinging back. And the only way to get out on the operations side of the degradation on the expense side, and extraordinary expenses, is with top line growth. And we are seeing that, you know, to the tune of 7 to 11%. Now, all that commentary aside, you juxtapose that, okay, with capital markets environment, which has been a real gut punch, right? Because the glimmer of hope that we saw now as we're turning a corner as an industry in a space, the capital markets have turned on their head. And it's kind of the tail wagging the dog so far as the lending climate deteriorating significantly. It applies to every real estate asset class, but obviously in senior living where people's portfolios were a bit battered for the last two and a half, three years, to say the least. It's, I think it's exaggerated, right? And how we got there on the lending side of the business was a lot of people don't really recognize. They understand if they're trying to secure a bridge loan, a construction loan, how difficult it is. And it's like, they look around and go, geez, like these conditions are like GFC, except the macro, despite the inflation, despite the geopolitical issues, despite the inverted yield curve, despite the labor challenges we've had in our nation, it's not as bad as a freeform meltdown in the financial system like we had during the GFC, right? But I would argue it's hard to secure a large bridge or construction loan from a commercial bank now as it is then with a lot better macro fundamentals. And the reason is there's kind of a sequence of events in the banking system. First, they, you know, the regulators kind of came to the bulge brackets and, you know, effectively said we're not providing liquidity, i.e. bailout capital, to the extent it's a hard landing relative to a soft landing, right? So that categorically took a lot of the nationals out of the market, national banks, right? Some of them have treasury management issues and other more discrete issues with their portfolios and certain real estate asset classes and generally speaking, but as a theme that was very impactful to the largest lending institutions. Subsequent to that, there's been systematic, what we would characterize as like audits, where they're trying to independently verify banks' risk ratings, you know, with the national banks, regional banks, down to the community banks, right? 
where they're coming in and reclassifying loans effectively and a lot of loans that they deem to be misclassified and non-conforming. And when you get a non-conforming risk rating, that just increases cash on hand relative, right? So it diminishes your ability to lend because you have to have more cash on hand. The third sequence of events, which has impacted commercial real estate in our space, specifically on the lending side, is there's been a mass exodus, in particular when about now two months ago or so, when treasuries and short-term treasuries peaked, you know, at five and a half percent on the two-year, I think the 10-year peaked at 443. Every FA in America were calling their clients saying, why are we in CDs that are yielding nothing? Point, point and a quarter, point and a half. For a government-backed, risk-free debt instrument, we need to be in short-term treasuries. Makes no sense. We can get a five and a half percent yield, right? And so I was told by a pretty reliable source that roughly 700 billion, the B, was sucked out of the banking system. You throw that all into a pot, coupled with market sediment, coupled with the fact that, you know, when a lot of these lending institutions made the loans, SOFR was nothing for the longest time. It was free money. You've both had spreads that have gapped out, right? Spreads that were otherwise in the twos that are now in the threes, for the most part on the part of commercial banks. But more importantly, underlying term SOFR is at roughly 5%. So the cost of debt itself is exponentially more expensive. Even if assets or portfolios are performing at a 9, 10% debt yield, pretty healthy cash flow level under ordinary circumstances, they may not be covering now at an eight and a half, nine percent interest rate based on where we are in the world today. And so all of that combined has really set into effect a kind of a ripple effect in the markets. And it's very, very difficult. On the one hand, I think it's a net positive because it's extraordinarily difficult to secure construction financing. So people said for the longest time, first it was Basel three. Then it was the equity analysts being harsh on the space with respect to overbuilding and is evidenced by some of the REIT portfolios and so forth. And somehow a lot of transient tourists were developing senior housing assets in our space where they may have been securing loans based on a depository relationship with a lending institution or their prowess in another real estate asset class. You had a lot of product, quite frankly, that shouldn't have been built in our space for a long time. Fast forward to the present, for very, very top tier, rarefied swath of the market, on the construction side for large loans, we're getting them done, but it's really by hook or by crook. And it's not really national banks, it's regional banks and so forth. But what that does to the supply demand imbalance is it's really difficult. I don't think, I was talking about it with Beth Mace the other day, but I don't think that there's always a, a lag in data that we've fully picked it up as an industry yet and how much construction is dwindling down. But that's gonna be a very, again, positive for the operating fundamentals. Oh, by the way, as we're finally delivering into a different baby boomer demographic come 2026, 2027, that right. people about talking about for a long time, but in actuality, those were the adult children in some instances, in many instances, influencing, some instances, partially subsidizing their parents in private pay senior housing. But we're going to be at a place where they're actually the target resident in three, four or five years, right? So all those things are incredibly positive. In our industry, I would also tell you that so far as weight of capital is concerned, there were winners and losers during COVID, but obviously multifamily and all of its offshoots, student housing, affordable housing, student housing, 
were enormously profitable and outside of a couple months of forbearance and, and things of that nature at the beginning of COVID and they had significant cap rate compression. We didn't. How could you have cap rate compression in senior housing when your fundamentals are you know, suppressed? Right? And what underlying NOI are you capping? Because everybody's census was, especially at the beginning of COVID, where you have a self-imposed ban on emissions for six months, practically speaking, right? And so multifamily, industrial, student housing, affordable housing, manufactured housing, medical office, life science, huge winners during COVID, right? Senior housing was not, have entered into a recession. And if you look at the NACREF and the NIC data during the last recession, senior housing tends to outperform the rest of commercial real estate based on the needs driven it's not completely recession resistant, but it's more recession resilient than the rest of commercial real estate. And so into alternatives that tend to perform and be more counter cyclical, including senior housing, but specific to senior housing, I think there'll be a way to capital as the operating fundamentals improve in the next 12 to 18 months into alternatives away from some of the asset classes that were stars during COVID, but now are starting to see chinks in the armor. So that's a net positive. But in the interim, it's really tough because anybody with a significant size senior housing portfolio, in particular, that's experienced a lot of issues on the labor side are somewhat jaded on the space. And then you see this juxtaposition where people are having a hard time seeing the forest through the trees, so to speak, when I'm very bullish on the next pretty was rough, you know, the last, especially being on the capital market side of the business. Last two or three years was really more so for the operators, you know, for financiers. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a very challenging capital markets environment. Senior living is arguably one of the most vulnerable environments on the planet, and knowing who is in your community has never been more important. AccuShield replaces the paper and pen visitor logbooks with a kiosk-based solution designed by senior housing operators. By definition, AccuShield is a healthcare technology company. The on-site hardware and software provides staff, agency, and visitor management solutions, infection prevention, and control workflows, and a health and safety compliance via data insights, automation, and reporting. What I would tell you is that there's going to be a lot of transaction volume second half of 2023 because people were in the lending community was very accommodative by and large for people that were committed to our sector. We didn't cause it. It was caused by COVID, right? That kind of thing. But now they have more global issues. And a lot of these banks are asking for major payoffs. You also have a lot of institutional owners, particular private equity funds working around finite life funds that may have been in year seven in 2020. And now they're in their second extension in a seven-year finite life fund in year nine, which, oh, by the way, required majority LP consent, and they got nowhere to go. That is going to precipitate a lot of transactions. And then the debt markets also get precipitating a lot of transactions. So there's going to be, on a relative basis, virtually no transaction volume comparatively. You know, our size relative to, say, multifamily per capita transactions was very, very low for the longest time. And now it's, I think we're going to see a lot of trades not necessarily because it's a great time to be transacting any piece of commercial property, but because people have to. There's going to be a lot going on in, in our industry and a lot of interesting buying opportunities that have come about through the passage of time. That is a lot of insight for our listeners. And I like, it makes me feel good to hear you say about the positive side of what you see caused by 
some compression in the industry to true things up. But for the remainder of the year, you said there would be some transactions in the latter part, but deals that are getting done on the new development side, if you could categorize deals that are going to get done and who's doing them, who would you say that's going to be able to get deals done through the rest of this year? The bar is very high for development, and it's very hard to secure development uh, financing. Cost of capital is high, and so the bar is much higher. It's hard to make deals pencil because construction costs have gone through the roof. Now, they're abating a bit. It's interesting. It's always subs and land sellers that are the last ones to get the memo in a recession. (laughs) The subs are not as busy because the GCs are on the front line and pricing more aggressively now on account of inactivity, certainly relative to where we were a couple years ago, you know, land costs are starting to go down. I mean, you've had degradation of value in commercial real estate to the tune of 20, 25% in the last six, nine months. We're starting to see construction costs go down, but a lot of deals are are not penciling. The deals that do pencil, it's very hard to time long lead time, high barrier to entry, two, three, four, five, six year entitlement deals perfectly in every capital market cycle. The deals that are getting done, by and large, have precious real estate attached with consummate, for the most part, vertically integrated developer owner operators that have built a lot of this on time and on budget through cycles. That's the type of stuff that's getting done today. Again, it's difficult, especially when you're dealing with loans We've got construction loans we're working on, ranging at 55, 60% loan to cost, ranging from, call it 50 million to as large as 135 million. Big projects in large markets. Um, and, and it's very difficult to get those get done. You have to cobble together a lot of regional banks to do so. But I think the sponsorship in the markets themselves win the day still. And, and we've been able to, again, and thankfully, knock on wood, get those deals done. A lot of the commodity product in ILAL memory care than the traditional senior housing spectrum, especially suburban stuff, it's just harder to get done today. A lot of those markets were oversupplied and still working through the existing stock to begin with. The other thing that's getting done is active adult on the development side. And and the reason being within the active adult space, you've seen a massive cap rate compression to the tune of they're trading at parity and some of this is tighter than multifamily deals. If you can build in the high sixes, trended or low sevens for great deals, yield on cost relative to say eight and a half percent or so for seniors, you still have, even with debt costs where they are, a fair bit of spread. When I think about that asset class, active adult, relative to when I got smart in the space through a client making a big, big bet in investment, about a decade or so ago, who we were have worked closely with kind of along the way. The penetration rates, agent income qualified seniors that are taking the product, in this instance, a 70-something-year-old lifestyle renter relative to a needs-based consumer, which is what we have in traditional senior housing, relative to those that can afford the product, is night and day. An educated consumer knows what it is, understands that it's multifamily, that's age-restricted, with an amenity package where they have a sense of community, where they have more robust health and wellness, where they have more robust resident councils and lecture series and things of that nature, right? Where they wake up with a real sense of purpose living there and identify with the community as their community and not just apartment building. That space is finally resonated in, in the eyes of baby boomer, 70-something-year-old renter at entry point. There's just not enough of it. 
for the longest time, that was an asset class that was new. It was hit or miss. It was flailing. Some deals achieved the 20% rent premium they set out to. Some deals didn't achieve any. It's really matured tremendously. There's a dearth of high quality product within the middle market, segment of the market, all the way through the upper middle market and even into the upper market in active adults. So answer your question, it's got to be merited and the market's got to make sense and the numbers have to make sense. But we are seeing active adult deals on the development side get done as well. And that's wow. all. Well, that's an exciting uh, sector to talk more about. Lucas, I feel like we've just got a master class by Aaron here. Drinking yeah. from a financial fire hose <laughs> with Aaron Will. That's going to be the title of this, this episode today. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, what a great opportunity. You know, this is why we love coming to these big high profile events like Nick. We get to pick brains like Aaron's and many others. So entrenched in the day to day and really have a great grasp and knowledge of this space, not just around the fringes. You know, guys like Aaron and, and so many others are so dedicated to this industry, been learners of this industry and really care about good outcomes industry. And so it's a pleasure to speak with you today. I really, really appreciate you taking time with us. Of course. Yeah. Thank you all for having me. And so to our listeners, we'll make sure that we connect with Aaron in the show notes. You can go to btgvoice.com, download this episode and many, many more. You can connect with Aaron on LinkedIn and then connect with Bridge the Gap on LinkedIn too. We'd love to hear from you. Let's continue that conversation. Maybe you have questions about what you heard today. Let's hear from you there. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG Network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.